Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. <clears throat> so I understand why you people in the South don't like snow. I don't like it here either. But, you know, we used to look forward to getting snowed in. I know that sounds strange, but we did. Anyway, Romans chapter 3, verse 9. I'm going to read down through verse 26. It says, What then? Are we better than they? No, no wise, for we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles. They are all under sin. As is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of apps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God being justified freely by the great, his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the mission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just, and the justifier him which believeth in Jesus. So, the title of tonight is, What Must I Know and Accept to Have Eternal Life? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege we have to open your word. Thank you for uh, the truth of thy word and the confidence and assurance that we can have in it, knowing that your word tells us that we have a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto we do well. It was given by uh, men who were moved by the Holy Ghost. First uh, Timothy tells us it's inspired of God, it's breathed out. So we pray that you, as we look into the word of God tonight and consider some of these uh, simple truths of the Word of God, yet very complex truths. I pray that you help us to understand uh, these things and be able to be a wit- better, a f- more effective in our witness and testimony for you. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we think about it, you know, Romans chapter 3 is a passage that is probably the mo- one of the most common passages used in soul winning. Um, and and um, many times it's used and not thoroughly explained. In fact, that's kind of the way I was taught. Uh, and I have come to understand some things that, that are very needful in our day and time. You know, Proverbs 11.30 says, He that winneth souls is wise. And we need to be wise at handling the scriptures when we're trying to witness and testify to other people. And we, as we think about our culture and, and the world in which we live, we understand something about it as well, because it's not the same as it was 50 years ago. Uh, this is, this is uh, from a website called Outside the Walls. Uh, this was put out in 2020, October of 2020. It's just a bunch of statistics. 
concerning religious things. It, and, a, and one of the, several of the statistics are 69% of churchgoers believe that everyone will go to heaven. And these are applicable to what I'm going to look at tonight. Uh, half of all Americans never read the Bible. Half. Now, I'm sure that more than half own one. Uh, 51% of U.S. churchgoers say they've never heard of the term the Great Commission. Now, that's 51% of churchgoers, not just 51% of Americans. Uh, 46% of evangelicals. Now, evangelicals would be those who claim to preach the gospel. They, may, you know, they wouldn't be fundamental or uh, you know, uh, you know, separatists like we are, but they, they would believe the gospel claim to believe the gospel, the 46% of evangelicals agree that God accepts the worship of all religions. 77% of all Americans believe that personal salvation is the re- result of good works. So, so as you think about our culture tonight, and, and some of the things that I'm going to look at here from Romans chapter 3, as some things we need to know and accept to have eternal life, first of all, we need to know and accept that we are all sinners. Now, these are, these are simple truths, but to I explain them, really, what does that mean? You might not say that's so simple. What does that mean? You know, you say to a person, well, we're all sinners. Does anybody really ever argue with you about that statement? But let's clarify what it means to be a sinner in the sight of God. What does it mean? What is sin? You know, it's not a word that we use today in our culture. We don't, we don't say, well, you know, I was, uh, I was uh, speeding down the highway and going in and out of traffic, and, uh, and I got arrested. I, you know, I sinned. I broke the law. I sinned against the law of the state, and therefore I got arrested, and, you know, I had to pay the fine. That's really a picture of what sin is against God. 1 John 3, 4 says that sin is a transgression of the law. It's a violation of God's law. It, it, is, it is iniquity. It's to do wickedly. You know, we're talking about God's moral law, you know, the ten, ten Commandments, if you will. And these laws are as certain as gravity. I mean, if you, if you uh, uh, walk up and get up on the roof of the church and you walk out to the edge and jump off, guess where you're going to go? You're going to go down. Why? Because gravity, the law of gravity that is certain, will pull you down. It will pull you down. Uh, you know, it, so, so this is, is certain. This is what sin is. It's a violation of God's law. It's a transgression of God's law. And these things are certain. Romans 5.12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin, that is the translation, Entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Now, th- that verse states a few things very clearly, that sin entered the world because of man, not because of God, but because of man, and, and death was a result of that, and we'll look at that a little bit later, and, and, but all, all have sinned. You know, we could say, well, if Adam wouldn't have sinned, then I'd have never sinned. No, it says all have sinned. In fact, Psalm 51.4 says, Behold, I was shaped in iniquity and sin did my mother conceive me. So we're all sinners by nature. Ephesians 2.3 says, Among whom also we all had our convertation in times past, 
in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Now, you might think, well, I'm not a child of wrath. If you'd have been put in the right circumstances and allowed to fest in the right circumstances, you'd be a child of wrath, just like anyone else. You have that capability. You have that capability. So if you were asked someone if they sin, what would they likely say? Well, yeah. You know, everybody does. But as we think about that and what this really means here in verse 23 where it says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. To fall short means to be devoid of or lacking. To fall short of the glory of God or you might say the perfections of the attributes or the personal characteristics of God. Uh, So it means that we are devoid or lacking of the attributes of God. When it says, we fall short. After all, you know, God is in a, in a sphere by himself. Deuteronomy 32.4 says, he is the rock, his work is perfect. For all his ways are judgment, a God of truth, and without iniquity. Just and right is he. You know, though people might say, well, yeah, I'm a sinner, but then they might turn around and say, yeah, but I'm a pretty good person. I'm a pretty good person. You know, Habakkuk 1.13 says, Thou art of pure eyes, and behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. God can't even look on iniquity. He can't have anything to do with it. So when we say that we are all sinners, we must understand our standard, it is God. It is God. And I think to demonstrate whether one clearly understands this, a good question is, do you believe you are a good person? You know, what did Jesus say to the rich young ruler? I mean, if you read the description that he gives of himself, by man's standards, here was a good man. What did Jesus say to him? There's none good but God. Though you may think you're good, you're not. You're not. So, you know, many people, again, will admit they're sinners, and then they'll turn around and say, well, I'm not that bad. So then who are they comparing themselves to? You know, that is the same as saying, there is some good in me. Is there? Okay, again, if God's our standard, is there some good in me? Well, what does the scripture say? Verse 10, as is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Romans 7.18 says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh. So again, what Apostle Paul is saying, In my natural state, without divine help, (laughs) there isn't a good thing in me. Not one. Now some men would have judged Paul, 
or Saul, as a good man. But in the mind, in the eyes of God, he was wanting. He was devoid, lacking of the glory of God. Well, you might say, well, yeah, he is a persecutor. Hey, we were all children of wrath. We're all the children of wrath. We're born that way. So, so when, when, you, when you say to a sinner, you know, um, and they say, you know, are you a sinner? And they say, well, yeah, everybody is. Nobody's perfect. Where is the focus? Is it on God? Is it on ourselves? But if a person wants to have a relationship with God, what good is a man focus? That's not the standard. That's not the standard. It's, it's really an effort to make God fit into what man wants to believe about himself. And not wanting to accept what God says about us. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 20, Solomon wrote, There is not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. Now, you know, you could, you could make the argument from man's standpoint, boy, Solomon did a lot of good on earth. What's the source of his goodness? When his heart was turned away from the Lord, how well did Solomon do? The picture wasn't too good. But when he followed the Lord and sought the Lord, see, it's of the Lord's. It's of the Lord. So we need to understand this, that we're all sinners, and understand it from God's viewpoint. Secondly, we also understand that we deserve a penalty for our sin. Uh, in chapter 3 here of Romans, in verse 19 says, Now we know that what things serve the law saith. It saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Guilty. That word guilty means under judgment who has, of, as one who has lost his suit. In other words, you're liable for punishment. So really, it's like you're, you're condemned. You're on death row, and you are condemned. That's the picture here. Your Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. The, that is the earnings, or getting what is due or just to us. That's, what's, that's what we get. That's the, what is due us. That's what is the just. That's what is justice to us from God. Now, so we're here really, really what we're talking about here is justice. Justice. So if a guy commits a crime, what is justice? Do, if you were to ask people, uh, again, do you believe in justice? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, we need to punish criminals and, you know, okay. So you see a guy going down the road and he's moving darting out and in and out amongst cars, you know, and I've seen him drive like that before, and I said, there's an accident waiting to happen. And, and I'm, uh, I remember we were in Maine one time. We were driving up 95 to a 
funeral of someone that was killed by a drunk driver. And this car come up behind us, and I mean got in really, really close. It came flying up behind us, got in really, really close. I mean, probably from here to that pew. And we're on 95, we're, you know, that's 65 mile an hour speed limit. So we're traveling pretty fast. And they came running behind us, and they're kind of going like this on the road. And pretty soon they, they come out around us, and they kind of go off the road a little bit toward the berm on the medium side, and they go flying up the road, and then they go in behind this other car, and they follow them real close, and, and they're weaving in and out. And, and I said, wow, that's a drunk driver. So we got on the phone and called, I don't know what it was we called back in those days, whether it was 911 or what we called, tried to get, see if there was a police, you know, somewhere around. Because I said, he's going to run somebody off the road. And, and we followed that car at a distance for quite a ways, and they finally turned off in Route 11. But, you know, uh, uh, what, what we were saying is what, what needs to happen is that person needs pulled off and arrested. But, you know, when I'm going... 75 down the interstate and I get pulled over I don't always think I deserve justice see we often want justice but until it comes to us you know do you really believe a person reaps what they sow Do you believe it when it's you? You know, this is this is really demonstrates repentance or a lack thereof. You know, David said said in Psalm fifty one, Thou art just when thou judgest. In other words, he said, I deserve your justice. It showed a repentant heart. So, so when we, when, you know, these are things we must know, or people must know and understand, or we must know and understand, that we deserve the justice. And what is justice for sin? Well, the Bible says the wage of sin is death. And that word death there really means separation from God. It's not just physical death. It's spiritual. It's eternal. That's the meaning of it. So a separation of God for all eternity in hell. That's justice for our sin. You know, we have transgressed God's law. You know, in Genesis chapter 2, the Lord told Adam and Eve, the day that you eat thereof, you will surely die. The day you eat thereof. Now, we know that they didn't die physically. That's not what he was really referring to, although they did eventually die physically. It was referring to the death of their soul, a separation from God and their spirit. Spiritual death. Look at a couple of passages of Scripture here. Luke chapter 13. <clears throat> Luke chapter 13. And verse 1. There were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And, and Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things. So, so these, these people that were ta- telling Jesus this were actually kind of giving it with the attitude that, you know, these must have been wicked sinners. After all, they suffered such punishment. 
such calamity. Notice what Jesus said. Do you, you think they're sinners above all Galileans because they suffered such? I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Or those 18 upon whom the tower of Siloam fell, slew, think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. So the bottom line is, when justice is served, and again, Notice the word, we all deserve death, hell. That's what we deserve. That would be justice for our sin. You know, James 2, I remember years ago, I was out with my father-in-law one night on visitation, and we went back. There was a road, a little dead-end road along a river, and there was a few houses back there, and and uh, I think it's a guy he'd talked to before, but anyway, and he was a nice man to visit with, and he, he said that, he talked with us, and, but, but he, was, he was of the con- conclusion that he wasn't that bad. And, and so I took him to James chapter 2 and verse 10 where it says, Whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. You know, you may not be a covetous person. You may not be a murderer, a thief. But if you lie, and how many lies does it take to sin against God? One. And we were made one time. We went to visit this guy, and I knew him. I knew some things about him. He had raped his granddaughter. So we're witnessing to him when they asked, when asked about being a sinner. He said, well, I never murdered anyone. So what was he doing? He was justifying himself, even though he had raped his granddaughter. You know, it doesn't seem to matter how bad a person, in our mind, how bad a person is. They can somehow yet justify themselves. No, no. Even if we just commit one sin, we are, justice is, we all deserve hell. All of us. <clears throat> Romans 5.12, again, wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. That is justice. Death. And again, we're talking about spiritual death, eternal death, separation from God. And so death passed upon all men, for they all have sin. You see, it is, is not over at physical death. Hebrews 9.27 says, And that is it is appointed unto men once to die. After this, in other words, after your physical death, there's going to be a judgment. You're going to be judged. Ezekiel 18.4 says, Behold, all souls are mine. Now, that's not talking about the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man. When God says all souls are mine, he's talking about all people are my creation. That doesn't make them all my children. We are the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. Galatians 3.26 makes that very clear. But anyway, all souls are mine by right of creation. We are as created beings. As the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. 
the soul that sinneth. So you sin one time, and justice is you deserve. You and I deserve hell. It's what we deserve. Go to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. And verse 24, Then said Jesus unto the disciples, If any man will come to me, after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his, notice, his own soul? Not his body, his soul. And what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? So if you, if you think you are good, if you think you don't deserve the judgment of God, if you're not willing to pass judgment upon yourself or agree with God's standard of righteousness, you will be eternally condemned. Eternally condemned. Not just your body. Your body's going to go into the ground and decay, you know, it's, or be changed if you're saved. It's your soul, your spirit. It's more than just physical death. It is spiritual. It is eternal. And so we are, we all deserve the judgment of God. But the third thing we see here is that Jesus paid our sin debt. In other words, he was our justice. He was our justice. Verses 24 through 26 says, But being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. So it says here in verse 25 that God has set forth. That word set forth means to place before or to, to set before, it, it's, it's specifically to set forth, to be looked at, to expose, to view. So, so God has placed before the world the particular and only acceptable sacrifice for sin. That's what, that's what Paul's saying here when he's writing to the churches of Rome. You know, God has set before the world this particular and only acceptable sacrifice for sin, Jesus Christ. Notice again verse 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 25, he is the propitiation. That word propitiation means, has the idea of satisfaction or that he's the satisfactory payment for sin. In other words, he satisfied the justice of God on our behalf. And he's the propitiation not for our sins, 1 John 2, 2 tells us, or 2, 1 tells us, but for the sins of the whole world. In other words, he paid the penalty or he satisfied justice for everyone. And we know not everyone has received it. But he did pay it. He did pay it. So, you know, he's satisfied. He is. 
he is the payment for sin. You know, he, look at Matthew 3.15. Matthew 3.15. In Matthew 3.15, when Jesus goes to John, walks that 60, 70 miles to be baptized of John, who was a man sent from God, and in verse 15, he, you know, he, he goes to John, and John says, I need to be baptized of thee. Why comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. He says, it, it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, in other words it, is, it is fitting uh, or it is to stand out, or it's becoming of me to fulfill all righteousness. The word become a, you know, has the idea of, of, of it is proper or it is right. First Timothy 2.10 says, But that which becometh women professing godliness with good works. In other words, their, their, their dress and how they adorn themselves is, is, is fitting for a godly woman. Uh, and so it is becoming of Christ to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, to submit himself to the will of the Father in all things. To always do the will of the Father. And his baptism here is a demonstration of that. Uh, he submitted to the, to the will of the Father in all things. You know, a common phrase that you find in the scripture is something like this. Thus it was written of him. You'll read that, especially in Matthew, you'll read that over and over. Thus it was written of him. In other words, it was written of him. Or as it is written in the Psalms, or as it is written in the, you know, in the prophets, or you know, he, he said Moses wrote of me. So you you read things like that consistently throughout the Gospels. Thus it was fulfilled, you know. Uh, so so and this is this is what he says here. You know, Jesus said, "I come to fill all righteousness. I do. I'm I'm here to do everything that is right, and everything he did was right." You know, Psalm 40, verse 7 and 8 says, Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book that is written of me. And that is repeated in Hebrews chapter 10. You know, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Lord, always did right in life and in death. You know, he didn't have, he didn't have our sin nature. He was born a virgin. In fact, look at Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. We see this, and Paul's preaching uh, <clears throat> to uh, Antioch in the city, I believe it is. In Acts 13, verse 29, it says, When they had fulfilled, notice, when they had fulfilled all that was written of him. And the interesting thing is, who's the they? It's the unbelieving Jews. And and the Romans, the Romans and the Jews, these unbelieving people fulfilled all that was written of him. You know, they parted my garments among them, cast lots by my, my vesture. You know, all that stuff was written of him. They took him down from the tree, verse 29 again, and laid him in a sepulcher. God raised him from the dead. He was seen many days of them which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses unto the people. And we declare 
<coughs> excuse me, and we declare unto you glad tidings how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto us their children, in that he hath raised up Jesus again, as it is also, here it is again, written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And as concerning that he raised him from the dead, now no more to return to corruption, he said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Wherefore he saith also in another psalm, Thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. That's in Psalm 16, I do believe. And, and for David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep, and was laid unto his fathers, and saw corruption. But he whom God raised again saw no corruption. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. So the psalmist here is really not writing about himself, but he's writing of Christ, because he died, was buried, his body saw corruption. But Jesus didn't see corruption. So it was written of him. Jesus fulfilled all that was spoken of him in the scriptures. In John 5, 46, For had you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. And even in John 1, 45, we find Philip finding Nathanael and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Yeah, there was a few that understood, but the religious leaders didn't. You see, we need to understand that this Jesus is the one that the God, God the Father spoke of and the one that fulfilled all that was written of him, fulfilled all the promises of God, fulfilled all the requirements of God for a, for a sufficient and a perfect sacrifice for our sin. He, you know, he fulfilled God's words perfectly, his commandments. In Luke 24, 25 to 27, Then saith he to them, this is on the road to Emmaus, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and entered into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all scriptures of things concerning himself. You see, we and people need to understand that it is Jesus that paid our sin debt in full. There is nothing that we can do. Peter says in 1 Peter 2.5, Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable by God. To God. Acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Do you know what makes us acceptable to God? Well, I'm a pastor. And you read your Bible every day. Or you've been baptized. No. No. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. And only Jesus Christ. So, we must believe that Jesus paid our sin debt. And then finally, we must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that sounds kind of elementary. But most people really don't know what that means, even though they say they do. Notice verse 26 again. To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier. I want you to think about that word. He is the justifier. 
It's not my faith that justifies me. It's Jesus Christ. Salvation is of the Lord. You know, some people say that, believe that repentance is a work. But the Bible says that God grants. He grants repentance. That means he gives it. It's a gift. Repentance really is just a change of the mind. But its fruit is a change of direction. A change of purpose. That's, but that's the fruit of it. That's really not what it is. That's just the results of it. And we'll see that in a little bit a minute. But anyway, so what we see here, he is the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. So to, what does it mean to believe on or in Christ to the saving of our soul? You know, there are many that believe, but not to the saving of the soul. You know, some believe in a historical Jesus, a cultural Jesus, made to fit their hip culture, you know. He was the first revolutionary kind of thing. You know, with long hair and beardy and, and you know, just, just a, a hip-hop hip hop kind of guy that, that went against, uh, uh, you know, society and all the cultural norms. That's, that was Jesus. I don't find that in the scriptures. There's... There's a, the good teacher, Jesus, or the prophet of Jesus of Islam. He was just another prophet. You know, all these have a belief about Jesus, but it's not a biblical one. It's not a soul-saving belief. In fact, really the reality is some of these beliefs have less respect for Jesus, are you ready for this, than the devils. Because James 2.19 tells us, Thou believest there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But many people who say they believe in Jesus today have no fear of God. They don't have fear of God. But see, the Bible says here, the devils believe. In other words, they know who Jesus is, and it makes them shake. You know, the old saying is, shaking in your boots. I mean, every time Jesus came upon demons in the New Testament, they were trembling, they were fearful. You know, they would beg of him not to send them out into the deep. Because they knew he had power over them. They believed in him. See, really... The word believe is an action word, and it really kind of means the same thing as repent. In fact, in some places of Scripture, it says repent. Other places, it says believe or have faith. In some places, it says both. Now, repentance is kind of the negative aspect of it. Belief or faith is the positive aspect of it. For example, Acts 2.38. In Acts 2.38... You know, the Jews say to Peter, what shall we do? And Peter says, said on them, verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Repent and be baptized. You know, repentance is, 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 is really a submission of the will and 
baptism pictures that submission of the will. You know, of, of, of one's life pictured by baptism, it's an outward act of submission to the Lord and to his church. So when one is baptized, they are showing submission to the Lord's earthly authority, which is a church, a New Testament church. You know, some say repentance is works. Well, Matthew 3.8, the Bible says, John said to the Pharisees, Bring forth, therefore, fruits meet. In other words, fit for repentance. Now, he didn't say, if you do these works, that's repentance. He said, if you really repented, you'd have changed your ways. Because repentance, the, the, really, the meaning of the word is a change of mind. Change of mind. But what we see everywhere in Scripture, as with the word believe which has been uh, muddied by easy believism, that there is action that follows. You know, again, Hebrews, he, read Hebrews 11. And you, what you find is, by faith, okay, them that believe God, this is what they did. This is how they demonstrated it. So there was always an act that was a result of, what they, of, a, of a belief in their heart. And, and repentance is the same way. There's always actions or fruit of what we have repented of. So, John says, bring forth, therefore, fruits of your repentance. In other words, proof that you've repented. Acts eleven eighteen. when they'd heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, then hath God also to the Gentiles granted, there's the word granted, repentance unto life. In other words, He's granted them salvation. That's what they're saying. Grant them belief unto eternal life. So repentance is a change of mind which produces a change of direction which is granted by God. Again, it is not God that changes our state or standing. Yet we have no power to change ourselves from condemned to uncondemned. From unrighteous to righteous. From unforgiven to forgiven. From unjust to just. We have no power. We can't do that. From lost to saved. We can't do it. Well, how does it happen? Well, look again at verse 36. 26, I'm sorry. To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. So, when you believe, when you truly believe in your heart, not just know, but believe, you're the surrender of your heart, it is God that justifies you. God. It's an act of God. Romans 8. Romans chapter 8. <clears throat> Verses 1-2. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made, made me free from the law 
of sin and death. See, I have been made free by an outside power. I didn't make myself free. I didn't make myself uncondemned. I have been made uncondemned. Verse 30. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Whom he also called, them he also justified. Whom he justified, them he also glorified. All these things are of God. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? So all these things are given to us. Who shall let anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. You know, Galatians 5.1 says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the bondage thereof, in the yoke of bondage. See, no amount of goodness or good works can save you or help you save yourself. Because in yourself, you are a condemned person in the sight of God. You are guilty of death. And if justice were served to you, you would go to hell, just as I. But Christ is my justice. And he's my justifier. Since I repented and believed in him. So, so again, when, you know, a person has the idea, well, you know, I can help. The root of that is, I'm not that bad. I'm not that bad. You know, that's the average American. That's a lot of people that confess to be Christians. You see, if we're going to be accepted by God, by God's standard, we must judge ourselves by the acceptable standard which God has established. He is the righteous one. We are the sinners. We are the lawbreakers. We are the transgressors. You know, John twelve forty eight says, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same will judge him at the last day. You see, we need to, we need to understand what the scriptures teach and how they apply to life. We need to understand it from God's perspective. Because from God's perspective, we are going to be judged. So when we understand these things, even as God's people, we can be better equipped to help sinners or people who think they are saved come to a right understanding of really their position and their state before God. May the Lord help us be faithful in our witness in declaring the truth to those around us who know not Christ.